Hey, this is Louis Grenier here, and welcome to the Human Strike Back by Hotjar, a weekly podcast designed to help you succeed by putting people first. I have the pleasure to co-host this podcast with my fellow human and colleague, David Peralta. Each week, we're going to learn the stories of other humans who are making a difference and thriving by putting their users, customers, and team members first, so you can learn from them, take action, and grow. On to the podcast. I'm David Peralta, and today we're talking with Purnima Vijayashankar, the founder of Femgineer.com, about the human impact that public speaking can have and why it's something that everyone should try, regardless of whether you think you're a good speaker or not. Prior to launching Femgineer, Purnima was the founding engineer at Mint.com, where she helped build, launch, and scale the product until it was inquired by Intuit for $170 million. After the acquisition, Purnima began speaking and sharing her experiences within the tech industry. And once people started coming up to her after her talks and sharing what an impact they'd had on them, Purnima began realizing what a powerful platform public speaking really was, both personally as well as professionally, and how it was helping her to create meaningful human-to-human connections and open doors that just weren't possible had she stuck to only her blog and video channel. Since then... She's spoken somewhere between 500 to 1,000 times to audiences of over 400 people at conferences and companies around the country, including at TEDx and Salesforce. And today, she's going to share with us what pushed her to start speaking and get out of her comfort zone, why she thinks everyone needs to learn to speak up for themselves, especially at work, how people with zero public speaking experience can take their first steps how she overcame her own stage fright, and how she's helped other people overcome their own imposter syndrome and fear of public speaking. She also goes into the proactive steps she took to be able to get in front of over 400 people at Salesforce. I really enjoyed this conversation with Purnima. She's super smart, had a ton of insights to share, and I really hope you enjoy it as well. Thank you so much for for coming on the show, Purnima. We really appreciate having you here. Yeah, you're welcome. It's exciting to be here. So... You just told me that you've spoken over a thousand times uh, throughout your career, uh, from the time that you were an engineer at Mint until now, 10 years later. And I'd love to hear, how did you get started with speaking? Yeah, I, that may be an exaggeration. Don't hold me exactly to a thousand, but I'm pretty sure it's over 500. Uh, and it's still impressive. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would say... So first off, in high school, I know I spoke more than 100 times in the four years that I was there, probably even some years, 100 times. Uh, So that's where I got my start. I was on the high school speech and debate team. I was traveling all over the country. And then I had originally gotten interested in it because I was a shy kid. I I was afraid to speak up and... I knew that life was going to be a challenge if I didn't do something about it. So I decided to join. And I'm really glad that I did because I started to see all of these benefits really early on in my career. You know, I aced my college interview, went on to ace my first job interview, and then do more complicated things here in the Valley like pitch uh, angel investors, get out and recruit for my companies, and spread the word about the startups that I was building. 
So for me personally, I had taken a bit of a hiatus between high school and when I was first in industry around 2008, and I knew I needed to get back into public speaking. So I just signed up to speak at a local code camp. I had no idea what I was doing at the time. This was back in 2008. And I signed up to speak about my experience building, launching, and scaling Mint.com. Turns out it really resonated with the audience. You know, a lot of people had either built a prototype and it was still on their machine, or they had worked on an idea or a product that was much bigger, so they hadn't seen the entire spectrum and they wanted to know what it was like to start from scratch and then scale. And then I noticed all these little benefits come out of it years later. You know, people who had never thought about joining startups, people who never thought about speaking would come up to me and say, this was great. You've sort of given me the confidence now to pursue this. You know, if you can do it being a few years out of school, why not me? And I started to see it as this multivitamin because it was benefiting me, it was benefiting my company, and it was benefiting the community. Now, backtrack, why and how I decided to get more and more involved in public speaking was because I recognized a need for it. You know, there were years where in previous jobs I would get passed up for promotions, I would spend long hours just coding, learning new technical skills, and I felt like no matter how much I did, I didn't have an impact, and that was very frustrating. What do you mean you felt like you weren't having an impact? Well, it's like if you spend 60 to 100 hours a week and people don't recognize your work or they just kind of come to expect it, right? Uh, If you're not getting so much as like a pat on the back or maybe that's all you're getting and you want more, then it's up to you to decide what are some ways that you can get either not necessarily more recognition, but more appreciation. And for me, you know, that little voice in my head started to go off and say, you need to speak up. The thing is public speaking or speaking up in general is really scary, especially for people who tend to be shy, introverted, or just worried about the consequences. You know, you worry about what your teammates, your boss, you know, your peers are going to think. And for me, I decided that the most authentic way I could do it was through teaching people, training my peers, and and getting out there because they started to see the impact. They started to benefit from it. And I started to become this go-to resource for a number of topics. So how did you how did you get started? Where what were what were the exact steps that you took? So the first was launching my blog in 2007, where I was doing a lot of writing. And that was good. You know, it kind of got me to test out ideas, topics, audience, but it was still very much veiled. And it wasn't until in 2008, I signed up to speak at that code camp and saw the impact and started to develop those deeper relationships that I was like, this is really cool. What what do you mean really quickly when you said that your blog was still veiled? It wasn't, I mean, people... People get a sliver of you, right, mm-hmm. on your blog. Like they, they read you. Uh, they have a sense of who you are. 
they don't really. And and the other thing with writing is it's very, very easy for an audience to come up with their own conclusions about who this person is. I'm not saying it's not possible on camera, but it's less likely. Like you have a little bit more insight into the person when you see them front and center or on camera. So it still feels a little bit veiled, impersonal than being front and center, you know, on a stage or on camera talking to your audience. And that's, that's why I would say the, the blog was good to kind of test out ideas, but I wanted to go further. I wanted to connect with people more. Okay. So you started your blog in 2007, didn't feel like it was still bringing you the, the level of, uh, of connection or meaning that you thought you could have. So you signed up to speak at this code camp. Yeah. And that was, it was pretty, uh, low touch in that they were eager to have anybody participate. They were eager to have people choose the topic that they wanted and then come out and speak. And I've got to say, just being in that room of like 30 to 50 people, having them come up to me afterwards, ask me really insightful questions felt great. It felt like when I had done some teaching before in both high school and college, and I enjoyed not only that feeling, but the impact that I was making on the community. So I started to do a little bit more. I went back to my alma mater. I spoke to the Society of Women Engineers there. I shared my story, my experience. And then in 2009, there was this nice snowball effect where uh, mint.com got acquired. And all of a sudden, there was more and more interest for me to come and speak on college campuses, at conferences, on panels. So I just took every opportunity. I just said yes to everything because I had the time to do it. And I had the luxury of, you know, having an exit uh, to where I could take some time off to do these things. And what sort of topics were you speaking on? At that time, it was mostly entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. some some engineering, some like in building engineering teams, building product. But at the time, there was still a lot of interest in how do you go from this like idea to a product phase? How do you launch that product? How do you scale it? How do you get funding? So I talked about sort of that soup to nuts for being an entrepreneur. And can you tell me more about the the kind of impact that you were having? Or do you have any specific examples of people coming up to you and what they would say to you after after you would give your talks? Yeah. Well, the first thing I noticed, uh, and this I noticed kind of time and time again, was to be frank, I was a token. You know, I was oftentimes the only woman on these panels or only women, sometimes even at the event. And other women would come up to me, especially, you know, whether it was in the Bay Area or outside, but people who wouldn't normally see folks like me would come up and say, this was great. Like, thanks for coming out. Thanks for flying all the way across the country or, you know, thanks for wherever it is I went for taking the time to do this. Right. And on top of that, it was, it was as if being a token didn't matter because what they saw was, oh, if you can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that became a big impact for me. It was, yeah, I can do it being a few years out of college. Uh, I can do it as a, you know, a woman or a minority or being the only woman in a lot of situations. Uh, and that's not going to stop me. And so it shouldn't stop you as well. So that was a big impact for me and was really beneficial. Can you tell me, can you tell me more about that impact? I mean, how, what, what, what kind of feeling did that create for you when you would have these people coming up to you and, and telling you that, you know, hearing your story was inspirational to them? 
yeah, at that point I was like, well, there's only one of me, so I hope that more people step up and do this because uh, there's only so much that I can do. So I, I kind of started to get worried. I was like, oh no, you know, are other people going to do it? And I don't, I don't care being brazen. And at that point I had my voice. Uh, I had a platform. I had some credibility, but I could sense that there was some reluctance even in my peer group and for other people I saw in the audience to, to do this similar work. So I was, those were some of my concerns. Uh, the other thing I was concerned about was people hang on every word. You know, I would uh, often speak at places and then I didn't know who was in the audience and maybe six months or even six years later, they would come up to me and they would say, ah, I saw you spoke at this event and that thing that you said, you know, and they would just give like a direct quote. And I was like, I said that? Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, or it just became more aware of what I was saying and how I was saying and how it was making an impact on people and recognizing that I needed to not necessarily change my stance, but I needed to be cognizant of how influential it was for people and sort of the impression that I was giving. And I almost wanted to, to give them more. Like I was like, oh, it's not enough to give them a one-liner, a platitude. I need to give them specifics. I need to give them something that they can walk away with and, and have it be actionable or have them be able to do some additional research, right? It's, it's not enough to just like inspire and motivate. You've really got to give people the um, how-to. Okay, so that's that's a that's a good place to to kind of transition for people who are interested in, in public speaking, um, or or who might consider public speaking as a way to make an impact or to find a sense of meaning in what they do by sharing what they've learned with other people. Where can we get started? So public speaking is the number one fear <laughs> across the globe. That's right. It's actually above death, right? Exactly. People, Karen, my co-author, and I, we joke like. Uh, there's this Jerry Seinfeld quote that's like, people would rather be in the coffin rather than giving the eulogy. That's how much fear is wrapped around it. And it makes sense. Like I said, even I was fearful. You worry about what people are going to say, what they're going to think, how they're going to react. And if you know, you're not sure about what you're saying, it can be really scary. So I like to approach it depending on, you know, whoever's listening, their level of audacity, right? But one very simple step is to get started inside of your company, right? Don't think of public speaking as, oh my gosh, I have to put together my PowerPoint and then go up on stage. That uh, is, is a final step. That's not the initial step. So the initial step needs to be, can I speak up in a meeting? Can I train somebody? Can I do a multi-day or even um, you know multi-session onboarding for new employees or existing employees can I do some knowledge transfer you know what can I do inside and will that help me get more comfortable with speaking right just speaking in general and of course a lot of this depends on how I would say comfortable um, you are, but leaving that aside, what the culture is like of your company, right? Are they open to doing such things? Uh, and if not, then there's plenty of external communities that would love to hear from you, whether it's meetup groups, you know, online groups, etc. So that's, I think, a great place to start. And it's it's about just 
testing out a few ideas that you have. So actually, I'd, I'd love to, to mention that uh, at, at our company at Hotjar, and specifically in the content team, uh, our, uh, our content editor and writer, Fio, she actually initiated something for the entire marketing team, which she called Coffee and Learn. So we've got daily scrum sessions where, uh, you know, every day we check in, everybody says what they've been working on and uh, what they've accomplished and what they're going to do that same day. And then once a week, we have a 15-minute session at the end of our Scrum, which, uh, which is called Coffee and Learn, where one person from the team, and it rotates, shares something that they've learned. And it can either be related to work or life or anything that they felt is important enough to share with the rest of the team. And it's a really low-touch way to share something that's important to you that you feel would be of value to other people. And I think that that's something that is really beneficial, not only because in, in our culture at here at Hotjar, it's uh, always be learning is, is a very important value. Uh, and so this is a really great way to not only learn from others, but to also share what you have to give. Because I think it, it, maybe you'll agree, I think everybody has something of value to share, but a lot of people maybe feel that they don't. Maybe they feel that, oh, well, I think other people must know more than me or, you know, I, I, I just have my own experience, but it's not really something that other people would benefit from. Have you encountered that to, to be the case? Totally, totally. So that's so aside from stage fright, if I have to stack rank them, I would say stage fright is the number one reason people don't speak. You know, stage fright, nerves, the feeling of being imposter. The second is why would anybody care about what I have to say? Right. You know, I'm new in my career. I'm new in this role. I don't have anything earth-shattering, groundbreaking. Everyone's already said what it is I have to say. But here's the thing. It honestly doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for a couple of reasons. The first reason it doesn't matter is because there's always somebody who is a beginner. So while you might feel like, oh, I'm the intern, there's somebody out there who doesn't have an internship that would love to learn from you, mm -hmm. right? Or, oh my gosh, this is my first career. There's somebody out there who's still in college trying to get that first career, right? Or, oh, I'm now a VP, but this is like my first VP role. Great. There's hundreds of people out there who would love that position and love to know. So that's the first. There's always somebody who's a beginner that wants to learn from you. Second, not every voice resonates, meaning even if there are a hundred people saying the same exact thing, chances are people in the audience or in the community are going to tune them out because you know they find them too brazen, they think their experience doesn't apply, they you know for some other reason that they can't name just doesn't make sense. I have this joke with my brother where I will tell him something and then six months later he'll hear it and listen to whoever else said it. And I'm like, you know, I said that six months ago, <laughs> but it's such a short, close connection that he tunes it out. Or he's like, ah, it's just my older sister, like, you know, moaning um, to me and and trying to get me to do this thing, right? So, so different voices resonate. And that's another key reason you need to speak because your experience, your perspective 
may be the key to unlocking somebody's potential. It might make them realize, oh, okay, if she can do it, I can do it. Or if he can do it, I can do it. And they're just like me versus these other hundred people that might be saying the exact same thing. So that's why I push people. doesn't matter if it's already been said. doesn't matter if it's already been done. It's your chance now. Uh, and there may be something unique in your experience that you don't even realize that that person sitting in the audience is going to realize. So did you uh, did you have this stage fright at the beginning or uh, or this feeling that you didn't have something of value to share? Totally. I always have stage fright. And it, it just depends. Like, you know, sometimes I have minor cases of stage fright, meaning I like before I teach my uh, some of my courses, uh, I, if it's the first day that I'm kicking off, like I don't know everybody. So I'm kind of nervous going in. I want to make sure that we gel, that they like what I'm saying, that it resonates with them. So I'll have a little stage fright there. Before I did my TEDx talk a few years ago, I did not have any stage fright. But the minute I took one foot on that stage, I immediately just shut down. I didn't even realize that was going to happen. Before I have to do any sort of big pitch, I'm always worried. And so it's, it's ongoing and it's a matter of being aware and managing it versus like, oh, I'm trying to kill these nerves. Like it's, it's never going to go away. It's part of being human and it can be a good thing. It can mean that you're enthusiastic, that you care about the topic and that you have energy to get your, you know, opinions heard and your voice out there. Or that you're about to be very vulnerable and share a side of yourself with people. Exactly. So how did, how did you overcome it at the, at the TEDx talk? (laughs) On stage, in front of everybody. I just kind of got through it. I, yeah, I started, I took a, a, you know, I, took a few deep breaths. I launched into my talk. I had practiced a lot, so I knew the talk, but it was just some combination of, oh my God, this is TEDx and there's all these people uh, that I didn't come through in like maybe the dress rehearsal or I didn't really understand the gravity until I got on stage. So I, I got through it. And after that, you know, I had kind of a debrief with Karen, my co-author, and we started exchanging notes. And one of the things that she said was power posing. So I started power posing. uh, And over the years, I've kind of developed a ritual. And a lot of it, honestly, is not even about the talk or the material or the audience, but a lot of it is some of the basics. It's like, make sure you get enough sleep, make sure you're not in like, a number of different, like you don't have a number of different things going on. You know, put your phone away. Don't worry about email. Uh, make sure you are hydrated. Uh, and then at the end of the day, there's some little things you can do. I always love to meet audiences before the talk to gauge kind of their level, their interest, have some icebreakers, have some friendly faces in the audience that I can turn to. I think that's very helpful. It's a number of things, and you have to figure out what your ritual is going to be, but have something. You know, don't just go in there, you know, with with nothing and expect to, like, uh, push through it. So I think I think that that's key. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, it's practice. It's doing the dress rehearsal. It's having people support me. Uh, and then it's when you're in the moment, you have to just let go. You have to be like, you know what? No matter what happens, if the slides break, if I forget a line, just kind of keep going. And the reason you keep going is because people aren't grading you on perfection. Right. You know, this isn't this isn't some like 
hundred million dollar movie where you have to get every line <laughs> right. This and even those people improv. Uh, this is about putting your best foot forward, sharing your message, and audiences frankly don't even care or even know when you forget a line or you slip up. Yes, if it's massive, they might know, but most people don't critique themselves on massive mistakes. They always like flog themselves for the little things like, oh, I should have said it this way, or I used my hands too much, or I skipped a slide, or you know, whatever. So Right, things that most people aren't even noticing. It's, it's a case of us definitely being our, our harshest critic. Exactly. Yep. So kind of just in the moment, you have to let that go. And you have to say, there are people here who are relying on me to learn, to be inspired, to be motivated. And that's what matters. So I'm going to put my best foot forward. So we talked about for people who want to get started, that a great place to start is internally within your own company. Uh, So once people start to do that and start to feel comfortable speaking up in meetings or starting to share something on a weekly basis with their team, what's the next step? Yeah. I mean, the next step could be whatever you like. It could be going outside. It could be speaking at a meetup. It could be signing up to speak at uh, an unconference. These are really popular. What exactly is an unconference? An unconference is everybody shows up. There may be a theme. This is like the code camp that I spoke at. Mm-hmm. There are some for product. There's some for like different verticals. Uh, and basically you show up, you might write an, a topic on the board of what you want to do. People vote on that. And then you get to lead a group. That group could be five. It could be 50. And it's a, an opportunity to get fr- in front of people. You don't necessarily have to speak the entire time. It could be like a Q&A session. But it's a great way to get comfortable speaking in front of people and managing an audience, which are kind of like the two battles that people have when it comes to public speaking. And then if you feel more comfortable, if you have a message that you think really uh, needs to be amplified or you want to get out there, then I would say consider applying to conferences, letting people know you're interested, considering which conferences you want to apply to speak at and getting the ball rolling there. So I know from experience that there's a kind of snowball effect where once you start doing something, kind of the reward you get, the satisfaction you get of doing it fuels you to do it again and again and again and again. But sometimes that initial hurdle is is really tough. So, I mean, I think before you even have stage fright, there's this fear of even clicking submit to, you know, putting your name in or, or you know, submitting yourself for, for a conference or an unconference or whatever it is. And so how would you recommend to people who they're interested, they think that this is something that's a great idea, but they're too scared to even take that first step and submit their names and say, yeah, I, I want to speak. Yeah. So there's a number of hacks around this, right? The first is kind of identifying what's holding you back. Is it, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing alone. Who says you have to do it alone? Get a partner. People love having, you know, co-presenters do a panel and be the moderator or be a panelist and recruit a moderator. If the issue is, I don't know if this topic is going to resonate, test the topic out. You know, that's what Twitter is great for or even your internal network of people. But identify what are some of the sources of your fears and then figure out, okay, how can I hack this? How can I get around this? I think too often the the reason people have fear is because they frankly haven't done enough preparation or they haven't thought through what it is they want to do, right? So if you take, like if someone were to come to me and say today, okay, Pornima, tomorrow you're presenting on the TED stage, I would just 
crumble. I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, I, cause I haven't done any prep. I don't know what the hell I'm going to talk about. Where is this taking place? Uh, I'm pregnant. So I got to like figure out, you know, there's like all these factors. But if somebody came to me and said, you know what, Pornima, in six months or even in six weeks, we would love for you to give this talk. That gives me time. That gives me time to prepare. So much like honestly, any other skill, whether it's coding, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, right? Realize that your expertise and kind of that flow that you have comes over time. And that initial hurdle is where all that fear is coming from. It's like you're still climbing up this steep learning curve. You're not really sure. Uh, and you're kind of wondering what are the initial steps, right? And and so that's where a lot of the fear comes in. But that's why it's important to do the practice, to do the preparation, to think through what's holding you back. Um, and then you can you can get to it. So like I did not start speaking thinking, oh, yes, I'm going to have a web show and I'm going to do a TEDx talk. Like those were the farthest things from my mind. Those opportunities came about and I became more more and more, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I became more and more open to them as I was speaking more often, right? So I think that's the thing is getting getting that practice in, doing, like you said, those lunch and learns, those meetings, and then deciding, okay, now I'm going to do this other thing that's going to be uncomfortable, but so be it. And here's how I'm going to prepare for it. So uh, in terms of what you decide to speak about, how do you choose your topics? And how do you choose a topic that you feel is really going to have an impact on your audience? So not just saying, you know, like, uh, not, not just a generic talk on what it's, or, I, I mean, I don't know, but like, you know, how do you, how do you find that topic that you feel is really going to come from yourself and really going to resonate with people and create an impact on the audience? So I, I hate to break it to you, but it honestly doesn't matter. People put so much emphasis on, I have to have this awesome talk that's like the, I don't know, three steps to making $100 million or getting like a billion dollar exit. You know what? Frankly, it seems a little inflated, like self-aggrandizing to have those kind of talks. But the second is that's not what people are coming out for, right? At the end of the day, what really connects audiences are your body language first, like how comfortable you are as a speaker. The second is your voice, you know, how your tone, your inflections. And the third is content. So I have a lot of beginners that I coach in my course uh, and kind of one-on-one, -on -one, and I tell them for that first talk, speak about something that was a recent problem for you that you overcame. And it doesn't matter if it's like, this is how I learned JavaScript in six months or six years or whatever. You might feel like that's so basic, but think about all the people out there who don't know JavaScript, right? Or don't know whatever XYZ skill is that you've acquired. And that's a good start, right? Because it's going to show people how to do something which is frankly why they're coming out. They want to learn. And the second is you've done it. So you're already going to feel more comfortable. You're going to feel like an expert on some level. Uh, and it's going to make the process of that practice and the mechanics uh, more important, right? Because that's when, when you're a first-time speaker, that's what you worry about more. It's like, do I sound okay? Do I look okay? Am I able to connect with audiences? The content is the last piece. So I wouldn't get so hung up on what's going to be the perfect topic. 
Now, as you get into some more advanced conferences, I understand that that becomes an issue, right? Because they want you to have a good topic. They want you to stand out in the crowd. They may have other people competing. So that's fine. When you get to that level, you can have those uh, conversations with the organizers. But I would say starting off and not feeling like, oh, my topic is too basic. I, I made this joke recently with one of my friends not my friends, one of my students, who came back and said, oh, I want to give this talk. Uh, it's on Kotlin, which is like a new framework for Android development, and like how I decided to, to, to switch. That just, it feels really basic. And I was like, well, I mean, I speak and teach on public speaking. There are people that have been doing it for hundreds of years, uh, and it's for beginners. Does that seem basic? Right? And my student's like, no, it seems really impactful. And I was like, well, there you go, right? So, so don't let that stop you from taking the first step. And oftentimes it's those talks that we think are basic, actually ones that attract a wider audience and following because everybody at some point needs to hear that information. So in other words, it's really about making it from your own personal experience. So not necessarily something that you just read in a book, but something that you've actually gone through yourself that you can speak from direct experience in, in sharing what you've learned and what, uh, what you took away from that experience that you can then share with other people. Totally. Yeah. So what were the problems? What were the gotcha moments? What were the tutorials that didn't work? What were the ones that did? right? Did you have some peer support? Did you take a course? What were the tools you used? And then, of course, what was the end result of all of that, right? That's basically kind of your takeaways that you want people to leave with, and that's what they're coming out to hear you speak. Yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, at one of these Coffee and Learns that we had a few weeks ago, the designer on our team, all he shared was how he goes from concept to finished product, and everything in between. And it was basically just how he comes up with ideas, how he sketches them out, how he brainstorms. And I'm not a designer, but it was fascinating. And it was actually very inspiring to me to hear him. Uh, so yeah, a perfect example of someone talking about something that's very basic for them, but super insightful for me because he's coming at it from a totally different perspective. Yep. And then to, to follow up. So can you give me an example of a talk that you gave that you felt really had an impact that really resonated with people uh, and uh, and tell me a little bit more about that talk and what it was that you felt led to that happening? Yeah, I think it is honestly that talk of my experience trying to either get promoted or get appreciation out of people and seeing that you know, it just, it wasn't working out over and over again, no matter how much I did, no matter how many products I built uh, or how many languages, programming languages I learned, you know, how much I kind of did behind the scenes, it, it just wasn't that impactful. And there have been so many technical women as well as non-technical uh, folks who have come out to me afterwards and said, I have felt this way. Like whether I am a marketer or I'm a salesperson or whatever, like I put in all these hours, I take all these trainings, I don't see anything. Like nobody ever says, thank you, or this was really helpful. I, I get no feedback. But the minute I get up there and I teach it to one other person or I do a group or I get up and speak at a conference, then all of a sudden I just have this wealth of opportunities. And so I've given that talk in a, a number of 
kind of different avenues. I've done it as a lightning talk. I've done it as a longer form talk. It's one of the reasons I decided to write my book. Uh, and I've also crafted it into like the be the token talk that I give where it's it honestly doesn't, you know, matter. Uh, just take the spot, be on that panel, or be the only person at that conference who, you know, looks like you, sounds like you, or has like a, a unique perspective. And that's gonna, you know, it might be scary, but it's gonna work out. And and I think that's what's really resonated with people, um, because because so many folks are dealing with that public speaking fear. Uh, and also so many people, like you mentioned, might feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not the expert. And for me, that's kind of become my cause. You know, I was doing a lot with product, with entrepreneurship, but I've noticed over the years that people just keep coming back to me primarily for this. They're like, how do I say this? Or I don't know how to approach this topic. So for me, it just boils down to communication. And it sounds like it's also a lot about meaning. It's also a lot about feeling like you have, like what you're doing is has a sense of worth, has a sense of purpose. And I can totally relate in what you're saying that a lot of people don't feel that in their jobs. Uh, and so public speaking is a way for them to get that, for them to feel that sense of satisfaction, for them to have, feel like they have a sense of purpose in sharing their knowledge and experience with other people. Yeah, I would say it's, for me personally, you know, I just ended my yearly Confident Communicator course, which takes place over six six weeks. And just being able to educate people, walk them through, coach them, and then see their transformation, like that's powerful. Uh, and I don't get that same sort of excitement uh, out of other things uh, as much. And so, yeah, if the closer I can be to making an impact, the closer I can be to getting that feedback. And of course, there's some people that are like, this class sucks. You suck. <laughs> like, that's always, there's always going to be that, right? right. Um, but kind of that core group, that, that tribe that you form, who's like, you know, you see them transform or you see the impact you've made, that's that's makes it all worth it. And I, I read that you're making an effort also to really encourage women and minorities to speak out. And uh, I, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about that and why you feel that that's so important. Yeah, I think no... You know, in the so I've you know I've been in tech since 2004, and even before that was involved in some capacity growing up. Uh, and I think now over this like 10, 14 year period, I've seen there's more avenues for us to have a voice, right? So even if at work people feel like, nope, you can't do that lunch and learn. Nope, you can't do this other thing. Nope, like. You can start a podcast. You can start a YouTube. You can go out into the community. You can speak at an unconference. You can speak at a meetup. So I feel like the amount of resources uh, and avenues are very, very abundant. But on top of that, there's such a thirst, right? There's so many people out there who want to learn from you. So it becomes this wonderful, um, I wouldn't even say chicken and egg problem because it's not really a problem. It's like, there's an audience out there that's eagerly awaiting, and it's really just about you saying, okay, I'm ready to do this. Uh, I'm ready to speak up. And and so there's that. And then the other is, I think there's a lot of support. People still tell me like, you know what, I'm not getting the support. I'm not getting the mentorship. I'm not getting this or that. I get it. And, and, and it can be a challenge to get started. And so some of it is just kind of 
buckling down and saying, okay, I'm not going to have a huge amount of supporters or I can't expect to have an audience the first time I speak. Uh, you know, I've given talks where literally there were two people and I was like, all right, well, I'm happy you're here. And so it's getting, getting comfortable with that uh, and starting somewhere, but realizing it's an ongoing process. And the more that you do it, the more likely you are going to see that impact. Um, but for me personally, the reason I love focusing on this group is because at the end of the day, they don't even realize their brilliance. And the moment they start to share, they start to teach, then they realize it. Uh, and then they become unstoppable. So just having that opportunity to unlock that potential in a lot of people has been really rewarding for me. Like I said, you know, this last class I had like 30, 35 students where they all came in and they're like, oh God, I have to give this final presentation at the end of six weeks. And I was like, ah, don't worry about it. Like it's going to happen, you know? And then by the end, and we, we record everything. They were like, I can't believe that was me because they see the transformation. You know, they put in the work. We walk them through every step. And then they're like, where, where, where should I go speak? Right. They're, they're kind of eager to get get it out there. Uh, and that's just that's just exciting to see and be a part of. But more importantly, now these people are going to go out and make an impact. Right. And there's going to be more people that, that learn from it. So. So that's why I think it's really helpful um, and I push for it as my mission. That's great. That's really great. And I was also reading that you actually gave a talk in front of 400 people at Salesforce. How did you get to that point where you were invited, you were invited to talk at Salesforce? Yeah, well, the thing, the thing about me as at this stage is I don't wait for invites. You know, in my in earlier uh, kind of iterations I would be like, okay, let's let's wait for somebody to come and speak. Uh, let me speak. But at this point, I just knock on a bunch of doors. Some people answer, some don't. So uh, with Salesforce, I actually had the opportunity to do a meetup there many years ago. I think it was like 2014. And then I did a workshop. Uh, and then it was crickets. Didn't hear anything back, you know. And then I was like, you know, let's just keep knocking on their door every few quarters, every few years. And then it just so happened that they were like, you know, we kind of want people to speak more in public. <laughs> Why don't you come and like spe speak at our, uh, you know, event? And I was like, yeah, happy to do it. Right. So aside from Salesforce though, there've been 50 plus companies in the Bay area that I've spoken at and given the exact same topic, like exact same talk. And so it's kind of funny that, um, it resonates and that people want it, right? Uh, but at this point, it's like me knocking on a bunch of doors and saying like, hey, would you like to hear me speak on this thing? Would your employees find it valuable? So for people out there who are like, oh, when is Salesforce going to contact me? The answer is never. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's about you not waiting for the invitation. And it's about saying, hey, I have this idea and getting shot down maybe if few dozen times or hundred times, and then just being like, okay, maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe somewhere else, you know, wants to hear you speak. It doesn't have to be, you know, a particular company or a particular organization. And what does that look like? Who do you contact when you knock on those doors? Uh, that's also kind of, you know, there's a lot of changing of the guards. So sometimes it's a employee that you may know who's you know, your friend and them kind of working up the channel. Sometimes you 
meet somebody at a conference and you hit it off and then you're like, hey, this is what I'm working on. Uh, and other times people see the work that you're doing and you have the rare chance of getting that invite, right? They might say like, oh, I saw you on Build, uh, your web show, or, oh, I saw you speak at this other conference and liked what you said. So we'd love to invite you, right? Um, so it's, it's multifaceted. There's not a one size fits all, but the idea is like you mentioned, it's a snowball effect. So you get started, you let people know that you like to speak, that you have a particular topic, you show some examples, whether it's a video, whether it's live, and they develop a level of comfort. They feel like, oh, you'd be a great speaker. It, it would resonate with their audience. And then it comes together. So if, uh, if our audience, if our listeners could take away one key lesson from everything that you've shared so far uh, that they can apply to use public speaking to create a meaningful impact on the lives of others and succeed in this way by putting people first, what would that takeaway be? So just do it. You know, put that, don't kill that inner critic, but kind of kindly tell them, hey, I have something that I need to get off my chest. Uh, I'm going to do it in a way that is authentic to me. And I'm going to find the people, you know, the audience that it's going to resonate with. And that, you know, I might find them over time. Maybe the first group isn't as open. Maybe the second isn't. But over time, I'll find that audience. But I'm going to do it because I do have something that I need to share, whether it's expertise, whether it's a message, right? But don't let that hold you back and don't let all of these mechanics like, oh, I do this like gesture with my, my hands too much or I have a stutter or I have an accent or I'm not the most comfortable. Like all of those things over time iron themselves out or frankly, they just become quirks that are endearing that people don't have an issue with. So if they could start in one place so that they can really listen to this podcast and say, okay, I'm going to take that exact step. I'm going to start by, you know, starting here. Where would you recommend that they start? I would say the next person that asks them for some advice, like, hey, uh, how did you do this thing? Whatever this thing is, right? Be like, oh, um, this is how I did it, right? And then like take that and multiply it by five, and that's your first mini audience and say, okay, in two weeks, I'm going to do a quick little how-to, could be five minutes, 15, however long you want, on how to do X. The example that you gave your designer is a great example to start with. And it's also a great place to test. And it's an audience that cares. And that's who you want as your first audience. You want an audience that's going to care and that's going to learn something. And it's going to give you that kind feedback that's going to help you iterate. So in your experience in, in public speaking, you've seen that you've had a lot of impact. People have really been influenced by sharing your experience. And so uh, in this audience, we have a lot of people who tell us that they, um, either they themselves or people in their orbit are kind of on the fence about embracing a people first approach. What would you say to those people in order to help them understand that people first is really the only way to go. I don't even know. Like, is it going to be Martians first? I mean, what, what, what is that? <laughs> what is the resistance to putting people first? Like profit first, you know. Like we've got to think on oh. the bottom line. Like for example, like I can't. I don't have time for public speaking. You know, like I sure. am so bogged down at work. Sure. Or my manager says, like, you don't have time for public speaking because you totally. need to work. You know, you need to deliver to the bottom line. So I think at the end of the day, 
it's an experiment and you either are willing to do the experiment and then wait for the results or you kind of just keep hitting your head up against the wall hoping that the other strategy, you know, staying heads down, doing whatever it is you're doing will eventually work out. So I, I leave it up to people. I say, look, if you don't want to speak, that's your thing. Uh, I'm not telling you that every single person that I meet has to go up on stage and, and pick up the microphone. But if you feel like, you know what, I'm dissatisfied, I do have something important to say, I'm willing to give it a shot. You know, why not? Let me see what impact it could have, uh, either on my career, on our bottom line, in the community, then try it out, right? It's much like anything. It's like if I went to a kid and said, so your options are you can learn to ride this bike. Uh, if you don't want to ride the bike, then just deal with FOMO. Like all your friends are going to be doing it. <laughs> you know, it's going to be hard for you to get around the neighborhood. I'm certainly not going to be driving. Like I'm probably going to tell my son this in four or five years, right? So those are your options. And then leave it up to do you want to put the time and effort to learn how to ride this bike? And knowing that there could be this like huge opportunity out there to have new experiences and possibly, you know, impact you in a monetary, in a spiritual, in, in any sort of fashion that you want to reap the benefits, right? So I, I leave it up to people. I'm not heavy handed and say, oh my gosh, if you speak, you know, you're going to triple X your bottom line. Like there's no guarantees like that. But at the end of the day, if you're struggling, if you're like people are dissatisfied with our product, if people are not um, subscribing, if they're churning, and if you don't have another channel, like just looking at your analytics, if you don't have a clear story and you're pulling at straws, frankly, I don't know any other uh, solution than to talk to your customers <laughs> or at least get on the phone with them uh, and then you know, figure out, are there other ways to support them? Are there other things they are looking for? Is there some education? Is there a way to have a, a dialogue, right? And at the end of the day, I don't actually like to treat public speaking like it's one person speaking to many. I like to treat it like a public conversation, meaning I get up there and then either during or after people are going to be asking me questions, giving me feedback and helping me learn how I can improve as kind of an educator, as a speaker. And what's the, what's the biggest impact that you feel public speaking has had on you? I think at the end of the day, people realize how approachable uh, and authentic I, I can be versus, again, if I was just blogging or, or staying heads down, you know, nobody would really know the work. So it's, it's taking that risk and putting yourself front and center and making it so that people can indeed come up to you after you give a talk or you give a workshop or something and ask you a question or, you know, exchange uh, a conversation. I think that's much, much more uh, of an avenue that people are open to doing than even if you were if you're blogging, like there's, there's certainly a lot that you can do, but I feel like it's, it's just one, it's one channel and you don't, again, really get a sense of people. In fact, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it from my blog readers who have told me, oh, it wasn't until I met you, uh, 
A, I realized how short you were. <laughs> and, B, and B, I was like, oh, okay, yes. You know, you are kind of like your blog or, oh my gosh, you're so different in like a positive sense, right? Uh, and so it breaks a lot of the barriers and misperceptions that people have about you, about your company. Of course, you can't just get up there and have like a script uh, and speak in terms of like, you know, the like the campaign mantras or slogans, like you, you have to share the things that people that are going to resonate with people. Right. You have to be authentic. You have to be vulnerable. Exactly. You have to be personal. Exactly. So there's still, there's still that, but there's more of a connection that forms when you're in front of somebody uh, and they can see you versus you're just kind of behind a screen sharing your thoughts. So in other words, it's really that face-to-face, human-to-human connection that you can develop by speaking in public, by connecting with people directly, versus only online, where you're not really having that direct interaction with people. Well, I wouldn't say, you know, you can't do it online. I would just say, even online, it's it's the sort of thing where, you know, you want them to see you either on video or listen to you on audio, you know, have a little bit more uh, than a... 2D surface. So give them give them a little bit more depth. Give them a way to see and experience more of your personality, more of uh, your own intelligence and experience. More of your human side. Exactly. Right. All right, great. So where could people learn more about public speaking and about everything that you've shared with us today? Well, I think you know, everybody's uh, on different levels in terms of whether they're getting started or how far along they are. So there's a number of trainings, books, free resources out there. I would encourage people to kind of dive in, figure out what is going to work for them, uh, especially for the stage that they're at, right? If someone is getting started and wants to give that first talk, it might not make sense to like go out and hire a a speaking coach. That might be like overkill, but could they pick up a book? Could they listen to a podcast like this one uh, and kind of get over their initial humps? I think that's a good place to start. But you've got a you've got a book, right? Yes, I do. On exactly this topic? Yeah, so it's called Present: A Techie's Guide to Public Speaking, and I'm happy to uh, give away some copies to your audience that's listening today. Okay, great. So what we'll do is we'll share the link uh, to that book so that uh, our audience can download it for free, uh, and then that way people can learn more about everything that you've shared with us a little bit more and go even more in depth. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Cool. All right. So that'll be in the show notes on the episode page at hotjar.com slash humans. And finally, if you had to pick one resource to help our listeners succeed by putting people first or to establish that connection, as you mentioned, what would it be? I would say like having a having a support group and kind of forming forming a partnership with somebody else. So it's like getting a, honestly having like a buddy system, right? So if you like figuring out what's, what's going to hold you accountable, uh, for some people it's having a mentor or coach for other people. It's like, Oh, it'd be so great if I just had a partner who was on my level and we were doing this together for other people, it may be something else, right. But kind of drill down into what, what that thing is going to be for you. Does that make sense? So actually for you, yeah, absolutely. So you're saying the most valuable resource actually wouldn't be a book, podcast, video, or anything like that. It would actually be another person that you can go on your journey with that can either hold you accountable or help coach you. Yeah, or just or be your peer. Like 
I wouldn't have done those 50, 60 talks at all those companies without Karen, you know, having, having a co-presenter. And, and who is Karen, just to, just to mention one more time? So Karen Catlin is my co-author for our book, Present. And it would have been really challenging to do you know, 50, 60, 70 talks saying the same thing over and over again had I just had to do it by myself. You know, it's not as, as motivating, but having a buddy to do it with is great. And then as you are earlier in your kind of journey, whether it's public speaking or really anything, having somebody, that's why people do things like pair programming and co-presenting, having someone who you can work with. And you know, not every partnership works out, but it's trying, trying some people out, but also figuring out for yourself what's going to keep you in the game longer. Like we mentioned before, is it going to be that mentor? Is it going to be that coach? Or is it going to be somebody who's at your level? Or the way I like to think about it is like a brother or sister, an older brother or sister that you can look up to and can share some techniques with you. But a lot of times that's what helps you get over the hurdle and helps you stay motivated and in the game for longer. So it comes back to having that human to human connection with somebody to motivate you to really keep you in the game. Yeah, yeah. We all need we all need support, no matter how much we think we are introverted or how much we think we know, uh, it's always helpful to have somebody else to be a sounding board and a support system for us. Well, Purnima, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing all your insights with us. It's really been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening, my fellow human. We know how fast-paced life is. And so if you're listening to this on your daily commute or while running or even cooking, you can always go to hotjar.com slash humans and look for today's episode. That's where you'll find access to all the resources and humans we talked about, the full transcript of the conversation, and even links to related episodes. And if you like today's episode, please help us out by leaving your honest rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The more honest feedback we get, the more we can improve the show for you, and the more this podcast will be discovered by other humans. It's a win-win situation. Until next time, take care and be human.